Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, we ask for your holy presence with us today. My Father, I just ask you to just let your glory cloud just fall upon this place, Father, and upon every one of us. Lord God, open our ears and open our hearts. Father, that the same Holy Spirit that inspired your word be the Holy Spirit that inspired it in our ears and in our hearing. Mighty God, Savior divine, be in charge of today, of this service and of our lives. I pray you to help us open your word and let your word open us up, O oh Lord. Be exalted, mighty God, I pray you be exalted in the holy and precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles if you brought your Bibles today. Otherwise, there are some Bibles uh, in, in the pews in front of you. But you can also use the insert that was in your bulletin. I'm going to be teaching you today uh, from uh, the Gospel of Matthew, uh, the 21st chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. We've been in, in Matthew uh, pretty much... Uh, all year, uh, most of the year, 90% of the year, and, uh, and we're going to continue uh, to look at this gospel. Now, I, I told you last week, and, and uh, we've been looking at the fact that the ministry of Jesus in the area of Galilee is all finished. It's, it's gone. I mean, all he was going to do in the north uh, in the area around the Sea of Galilee and the surrounding areas, uh, all the healings he was going to do, all the teachings that he was going to do, all of that is behind him now. He is not going to return back to Galilee. Okay, that, that is done. Um, Galilee is in the north. There is uh, Judea where Jerusalem is, Samaria in the middle, and then the area of Galilee. Um, last week I preached to you um, and I showed you how Jesus leaving Galilee, 19th chapter, verse 1 of Matthew, he says after he finished, he left Galilee and he cut over to the east side of the Jordan River. He didn't want to cut through Samaria. He cut through the, to the east side of the Jordan River and he's coming down with all the multitude that are following him because they're all coming to the Passover feast, the Jewish Passover feast. And we have been kind of walking with Jesus that journey. Uh, and last week I, I taught you from one of Jesus' parables, which is the parable of the vine owner, the, the owner of, of the land, of, of a vine, um, of a vineyard of a vineyard, and he, he tells, Jesus tells the parable of this owner of the vineyard who goes out and finds some people who are not employed, and he hires them at about six in the morning, and he commits with, with them that he's going to pay them one whole day's salary. And then he goes out again at nine, and he finds another group of people, and then he goes out at noon, and he goes out at three, and finally he goes out one hour before day is over, uh, at the eleventh hour. And he hires them also 
uh, to come and work at the vineyard. At the end of the, of the day, he pays everybody the same. Remember that? And if you need to go back to my teaching last week, it's all in the, in the website, you can, you can go there. But the thing we learn and apply from that parable is that we all enter the kingdom of God by grace and grace alone. Through faith and faith alone, through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. It is the owner of the vineyard who hires these workers who were unemployed. Nobody had employed them. They didn't have a regular job. It is by grace that they're hired so that they can have money to put on, on the table. So they can have food to put on the table. So that they can provide for their family. So it is by grace that they're called into the work of, of the Lord or the vineyard. And then the grace develops even farther in that he pays them all the same. And of course, the, the ones that work the harder start complaining. They don't think it's fair. But Jesus says, didn't I, or, or the vine, uh, the vineyard owner, he says, didn't I commit to you to one day's work? I pay you one day's work. What if I give these that I hired on the 11th hour a whole day's work? Am I not able to do what I want with what is mine? So you can see the generosity of God that He allows people to enter into the vineyard and into the work of the vineyard and receive the benefits of their labor, whether they came and became Christians a hundred years ago or whether you just became a Christian yesterday. And so we dealt with that and I explained everything to you and you can go back again to the website and get that. Uh, today what I want to teach and I want to show you that Jesus has finished the journey. In fact, the parable that we're going to be dealing with today is a parable that Jesus tells in the temple already. He's already come into Judea, crossed through Jericho, and in the beginning of the chapter 21, which is where we're at, we, you can read the triumphal entry. From verse 1 to 11, Matthew tells us how Jesus entered Jerusalem and everyone was so glad to see Him and they shouted Hosanna and all of that. And then we're told immediately after that, that having entered the temple, He goes into, uh, into the temple and cleanses the temple out from all the people that were doing business in the temple. People that were profiting from the worship of God. They, uh, they weren't providing a service. They were making money out of the people's necessity to buy doves or to buy animals for the sacrifice or the exchange of money from Roman coins to Hebrew coins. Because you couldn't offer God in the temple Roman coins with the image of the emperor. No images being, being uh, able to be given to the Lord, and, and those coins had those images. So there's an exchange of money. But people were charging a fee for all these services. And they were making a pretty good profit, and possibly maybe even the priests were making a good profit by allowing them to, sh to set shop in the precincts, in the precincts of of the temple. So Jesus goes and he cleanses the temple, overthrows the tables of the money changers and, and starts just cleaning the temple and says, this is a house of worship. This is my father's house. It was also his house. 
and he cleanses us. And, and the priests start confronting him right away. And we are told as we continue in chapter 21 that Jesus departed the temple that evening and he went over to Bethany. And he stayed overnight in Bethany where Lazarus and Martha and Mary are from. And then the following day in the morning he comes back into the temple. He gets confronted again by the priests and, and the elders of the people wanting to know by what authority he had cleansed the temple, by what authority he had done what he had done. And that's where Jesus tells the parable that I'm going to be dealing with today. And one other thing I want you to keep in mind. This is Monday of Holy Week. Okay, Jesus is in the temple or of, on Monday of Holy Week. Thursday evening, he's going to have Last Supper with his disciples. And on Friday by 9 a.m., Jesus is crucified. He goes from 9 a.m. almost till 3 p.m. until he dies. So we're dealing with a something that occurs in the temple with Jesus on Monday of Holy Week. And I also want to tell you that there are two other kingdom parables that Jesus is going to deal with right there in the temple after this one that we're going to deal with today. Okay, there's two others that I'm going to be dealing with in the, in the following weeks. I want to make a couple of very, very brief observations, which I seldom do, but very, very brief observations about the two other lessons that were read today, the first lesson and the second lesson. In the first lesson from the Old Testament, we see uh, the prophet Ezekiel. The prophet Ezekiel is in exile in Babylon, and he prophesies from Babylon. And this is just a couple of things he says that I think are relevant to the gospel today. Number one, he says that each person is responsible for his or her own sins. The parents are not responsible for the sins of the children. And the children are not responsible for the sins that the parents may have committed. So the proverb that the father did something and the children paid the price, he says it's not going to be told in this land anymore. Each person is going to be responsible for their own sins. The second thing he says is that each person who sins against God will die. Will die. They will die to the relationship with God. They will die to the hope in God. They will die to the promises of God. And they ultimately will die without God and away from God. And then I want you to see at the very end of his prophecy, it says that God says, I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, says the Lord God. So turn and live. God doesn't want to ultimately punish anyone. God does not want anyone to die or be out of relationship with Him. Today or ever or in the future or into eternity. It is not His desire. It is not what He wants. He would hate that idea passionately. But out of His justice, He would need to deal with people who still choose to ignore him, reject him, and so on and so on. 
But it is not his desire to punish. It is not his desire to judge. And it is not his desire that anyone would die. Then in, in the second lesson that was read from the letter of Paul to the Philippians, uh, you get a, a very beautiful and, and quick glimpse at what righteousness or holiness look like in the practical. Because we can speak about Jesus died for me and we are made holy, we are made righteous, our sins are forgiven, all sins are gone, we can present ourselves before the Lord. But the reality is that the gospel demands from us a way of life that is also righteous. Righteousness is not just imputed on us, righteousness is something we live into as well. And so Paul makes these statements in the letter to the Philippians, that we are to have the same mind, that we are to have the same love, that we are to be in full accord. The church and the believers need to be in unity. We cannot have division in the body of Christ. And then he says, doing nothing from selfishness or conceit. In humility, count others better than yourselves. Listen to that. In humility, as a believer, count others better than yourselves. Look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. They have as much right to be treated with respect as you would want to be treated. Their interest, their well-being is as important as your well-being. And it is upon us to treat all people with that respect and with that honor. Just like we would want to be treated by all people. And then he gives us a beautiful uh, passage about having the humble mind and attitude of Christ. Who though he was God and equal with God, emptied himself. Though Jesus was with God and was God and was in every way God, He emptied Himself. He didn't say, I'm equal with God, therefore I will not. His humility is shown in that He emptied Himself of all the glory, that He emptied Himself of all that He had in the presence of His Father. He emptied Himself and He took on our form. Humanity. The limited humanity. And, and as a human, he not only humbled himself in becoming like the creatures he created, but he humiliated himself by allowing himself to be hanged half naked, if not totally naked, from a cross and die a thief's death, a criminal's death. He says, you ought to have the same mind as was in Jesus. That same humility, that same willingness to sacrifice for the well-being of others. Christ must be alive in you, and you must portray the same personality, the same attributes, the same attitude that your Lord portrayed in His humanity. And then that brings us then to the gospel today. And we look at this parable of the two sons. Now when I started reading this parable, I, I, I read it 
kind of with my own agenda type of thing, and I realized later how incorrect I was. Because the first thing I wanted to see is I wanted to see how the father in the parable, the father of these two sons, I wanted to see how the father invites the two sons to go work in the vineyard. Well, I, as I reread it, he did not invite them. He's the father. He tells them that they are to go and work in the vineyard. The job of the children are to obey the fathers or to obey the parents. It's not an invitation as we would invite somebody to a party. Or please, Gregory, would you go work at the vineyard? No. The father is telling the sons, sons, this is the family vineyard. This is the business of the family. Go work. He is commanding his sons and demanding obedience from them. They are the sons, not the fathers. And so he tells them, go work at the vineyard. They both have the same opportunity to go and do what the father has asked them to do. I mean, that's... Listen, I, I grew up that if my father told me to do something, I, I did it. And I could argue with him all I wanted, but if, if, if he really meant it, I did it. There was no way around it. I was dependent on him for shelter, for food, for everything. Plus, he was my father. He gave me life, and I was to honor life through my father and my mother. It is the job of the children to obey the parents. And so this parent, this father, tells these two sons to go work in the vineyard. The first son says, no, no, I, I won't. I, I can't accept you commanding me. Doesn't it sound like some of our children sometimes? No, I, I'm busy. I'm busy. I have something else I need to do. You should have told me in advance. I can't do it. You know, this attitude we find sometimes, especially as they're teenagers. But this first son says to his father, no, I won't work in the vineyard. But later, after some thought and consideration, maybe he thought a little bit more about the father, thought a little bit more about the vineyard, thought a little bit more about that the father had requested that he works in the vineyard, he decides that his initial attitude was wrong, that he reacted badly toward the father, and, and he repents of having acted that way and said no. So he repents and he goes and he works. The second son... The father goes to him and says, son, go work in the vineyard. He says, yes, dad, immediately, of course I will. But he doesn't. He doesn't. Now, I don't know if he had intention of doing it. And then all of a sudden something else came up and what the father wanted wasn't that important. So he ended up doing something else. Or whether he intentionally deceived the father from the very beginning. I don't believe it was an intentional deception. I think, you know, sometimes we say, yes, 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 Lord, and we end up not doing it. And it's not that we have evil intentions. It's just that 
We just didn't do it. At the end of the day, that second son did not obey the father. Yes, 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 doesn't work unless you carry through. Yes, 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 I know you're God, but no, I'm going to do it my way. It doesn't carry through. That's what this son has done. So Jesus asked the leaders of the church or the leaders of the temple there who are confronting him. He says to them a very simple question. Which of the two sons did what the father wanted? Now that's not a hard question. The parable is not difficult to figure out. So they, they could not avoid but saying the first son. The first did what the father asked them to do. At first he said no, but he did it. The other one said yes, but he didn't do it. So what is Jesus teaching these people who are hearing him in the context of the temple that day? What Jesus is, is teaching is that the religious leaders were the second son. The religious leaders were trusting so much that they probably had degrees in theology. They probably were trusting so much that they were the chosen ones in the temple. They were the priests, the leaders, the elders of the people. They had importance. They were Jews of Jews. They, they had all these things going for themselves. And they had initially said, yes, 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 Lord, we will do this and we will do that. And in reality, they're not doing it. And it's not intentional. It's just that sometimes, sometimes we can be so doctrinal. And we can all learn the doctrines of Christianity so well. And yet we're not living the doctrines of Christianity. People can quote the Bible back and forth. People can tell the Trinity, explain the Trinity, explain Jesus, explain the cross, and still not be living the requirements of what it is to be a believer and one submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. These Jewish individuals who were the leaders of Israel have said yes, yes, yes to the Lord... But we're not leaving it. In fact, John the Baptist had called all of Israel to repentance. And these religious leaders felt that they had nothing to repent of. No need to go to the waters of baptism. They already were washing themselves with water. They already were the people of God. This baptism that you're doing down there, John, that's for sinners. We're not. No wonder John said, you brutal vipers, who told you that you were going to flee from the wrath to come. 
They were feeling that they did not need repentance. Repentance for them was once a year in Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur, or at other times was to offer an animal to die for my sins. But it wasn't really affecting them where they recognized that look, no matter how great we try to be, every one of us fails. Every one of us needs to submit to God and ask for forgiveness. Because none of us is perfect at any point. We try our best to live by the Word of God. But we're still subject to the flesh, to its weaknesses, and and to sin in our members. So we constantly need to be able to go to the Lord and ask, Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. The attitude of these religious leaders is that as long as they were doing it, they didn't have to be it. As long as they were doing what the law required, as long as they were doing the sacrifices, as long as they were keeping the doctrine, there was no need to listen to that John the Baptist looking weird over there by the river Jordan. Who's going to listen to that prophet where we have the better way? And so Jesus is saying, you are that second son. Saying, yes, 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 Lord, we will, Lord. We will care for your people. We will do as you call. We will have mercy. While they weren't having mercy for for sinners. And then Jesus says, the tax collectors and the harlots, the prostitutes, and all other sinners who were hearing the gospel preached, who were hearing the message of Messiah, who were hearing the love of God, had been turning in their heart, and they had been repenting of their sins, and being baptized at the Jordan. And as they witnessed the ministry of Jesus, people were turning and asking for forgiveness of God, transforming their lives, and surrendering to the glory of God. They were giving themselves to the Lord, and Jesus is actually saying, that is the first son who at the beginning said, no, I won't, I will live my life the way I want to live it, nobody's going to tell me how to live it, the Father's not going to tell me, I know God, but I'm not going to obey God. And later, as they hear the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit brings the Word of God into their heart, you start seeing a lot of sinners repent, and entering the kingdom. That's what's behind this parable. Now the question to you today is which of these two sons are you? Which of these two sons are you? Are you the son that feels that you're better than anybody because you've been a Christian a long time? Because you've repented of your sins? Because you've attended so many Bible studies that the doctrine is so ingrained in you? You have so much knowledge about God that everybody else is less than you? Or are you perhaps the other son who feels, I am a sinner, but I'm unworthy? Because both are in error. Both are in error. Those who feel they don't need to repent and submit to God because they have it all worked out. And those who don't think they have a chance with God. That God would never forgive their sins. 
that they will never be worthy, that they don't know. How, how will they ever join a congregation of so much mature believers? Oh my goodness, if we learn anything out of this parable, is that the only way to enter is through repentance. Everybody is through repentance and submission to God. Because we are all at the end of the day, we're all the same. Whether you've been a Christian for a long time or not. Or whether you've never been a Christian or been a lapsed Christian. That you have entrance into the glory of God, into the promises of God, into the kingdom of God, and eternity with the Father through repentance. Through, through that repentance that affects the heart from the inside out, not what you do from the outside in. If one thing we learn about this parable is that we all need to repent so that we can obey the Father's will because the will of God hasn't changed from from Judaism to Christianity the will of God still is that we all be obedient to him God is God and you are not he is the father he is the creator and we are the creation he is the judge of all things and we are the ones that will be judged Nothing has changed. We still need to live in obedience to God and to His Word. Because that's the way we honor God. And we honor His Word. In our obedience to Him. And that obedience will require that we humble ourselves and get off our high horse. And our own agendas and take on His agenda. That we stop saying, I'm going to do it my way. Because that's not going to take us any place. That we still need to be in obedience to the Lord. This parable is not only to correct those people who say, yes, yes, but don't live the gospel. Because there is clear correction there for, for believers who think that they have it all made, that they don't have to do anything else. There's correction for those who think they're better than. But there's also correction for those who may feel they don't fit. There's correction to say to those that the Father is just waiting for all of us to repent and ask Him to forgive us in such a way that our hearts begin a transformation. Because you know becoming a son or a daughter of God. Is not a process. It's a decision. In one moment that you call Jesus Lord. And you submit your life to him. At that very moment you are an inheritor of the kingdom of God. It's not a process of how much you learn. It's a process of a decision. It's a one moment decision where your heart gets torn in front of you and you recognize that you are a sinner. It doesn't matter whether you've hidden it very well. You know it and God knows it. And tax collectors were turning to Him and prostitutes were turning to Him and people of all types of sins today have been turning to Jesus. And they find a home in the kingdom of God, through repentance and through faith in Jesus Christ. 
So the parable is not only for those who need correction from believing that they don't need to repent. It is also for those that don't think they're worthy. They also need to be corrected and brought into the idea that through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, you can have all the promises of God and all that the Word of God has promised on earth and in the heavens. Let me share with you two passages of Scripture in addition to what I've taught you today. One is from 1 John. It's a well-known passage from all of you. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not committed sin, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. And then the second passage is part of what was read today in the letter to the Ephesians. Where where Paul is writing and he says, Therefore God also has highly exalted him, Jesus. God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Given him the name Yeshua, Jesus, Lord, the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We're not saved by any work of our own. We're saved by grace and grace alone, through faith and faith alone, through Jesus and Jesus alone. There's no other way to the Father. The only thing that is required from you and I is that we repent of our sins, that we admit that we are weak against sin, and that we turn to God for help, for forgiveness, for the salvation of Jesus on the cross for us, that He pays for our sins, and that we start living a life that is more in accordance and in obedience. And when we fail, we come back and and ask for repentance, and ask for forgiveness, as we mature and get stronger in our walk with the Lord. But salvation has little to do with who you are, or when you became a Christian. Salvation has everything to do with the fact that Jesus Christ died for you. And He left the glories of heaven to become one of you. And as one of you, He died in your place to take away the sins of the world. But it's that attitude of these two sons that we're looking at. One has the attitude that he doesn't need to repent of anything. And the other one, he recognizes that he's a sinner. He's been a prostitute, he's been a tax collector, collecting money so that he can pay the Romans to subjugate the Jews, that he's committed numerous other sins. And he comes to that understanding and he says, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. I change my life. I give you my life. I turn things over to you. Change things in my life. I admit my sin 
and I admit you are the Lord, and I owe you obedience. That's the issue of this parable of these two sons. So the question then still becomes, which son are you? Which of these two sons best represents your attitude toward God? No, Father, but yes, I will be obedient, or yes, Lord, but I know I won't be obedient. In the kingdom of God, the doors are open. Whether you're a religious leader or whether you're not. Whether you're a long-time believer or a, a, a believer of recent days. The kingdom of God is open for all who would enter. Through Jesus Christ alone. To Him be the glory. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord of heaven and of earth. The only begotten Son of God who died for my sins and yours. Two sons. Honestly, which one are you? Come into the kingdom. Make a decision for Jesus. You'll never be sorry. Stand with me, please.